and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the if program. If you don't love, you're not at risk of frustration. If you don't love, you're not at risk at feeling loss. Only when you love can you feel those things. If you're cold-hearted and indifferent, those things will barely touch you. What happens when you love someone? When you love much, there is a risk that we will hurt much, be disappointed, betrayed. When we love someone enough to call them back into line, it's risky, but it shows we really care. Dr. Corbett has long been following the journey of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, who loves the people of Jerusalem enough to call them into line. His heart breaks for them. Is anyone beyond reach? Well, let's find out tonight. Dr. Corbett opens the book of Lamentations, what can happen when you love. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear and receive your word today. I pray that you would speak to us. May your word stimulate our minds and may it also grip our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would hear your word and be transformed and changed. For those people who've come in with hearts that are hurting, I pray, oh God, that you would bring healing today. For those who've come in with pressure and stress and strife, I pray, Lord, that they will not only leave with the peace that only you can give, but reasons for that peace. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen through Jeremiah that we have seen a young boy, maybe 13, 14 years of age, called by God to be a prophet to an entire nation, the nation of, well, what was left of Israel. And this young boy uh, was the son of a priest. And he eventually got to that age where he, he became a priest. And yet the call of God on his life to be, be a prophet was overwhelming. And so we see in this young Jeremiah that he began to prophesy things that had immediate fulfilment within the weeks and months of, of his life and also over well, what turned out to be centuries. And so Jeremiah's credibility as a, a true prophet became undeniable. He prophesied to three or four kings and we are now going to see just a bit of a reminder that we've come to that point, the very thing that he prophesied, which was the destruction of his city and the destruction of the temple was now about to be fulfilled. What I can tell you from tradition is that we know that after the destruction of, of the city, we see from tradition is that Jeremiah went into a cave called a grotto. And it was there that he wrote this book that we're about to look at, the book of Lamentations. And this, this introduction to Lamentations we're just going to look at the first seven verses, is what can happen when you love? And there's lots of things that can happen when you love. When you, you love, you actually put yourself at great risk. You actually make yourself vulnerable. This is called a lament. And in Hebrew, this lament, this poetic ache of the heart, was called for a long time up until... Uh, around about the time of what's called the, the writing of the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, where they, where they called it Lamentations. But this was actually called, if you look at the very first word of verse 1, of chapter 1, what's the first word? How. Uh, which I think is hekel uh, in Hebrew. And it's it, how. And it's 
How could this happen? How, how, how? The other thing I want you to notice is that there's five chapters in Lamentations. All but one of the chapters, chapter 3, has 22 verses. And the reason for that is that there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Not only has Jeremiah put together this incredibly poetic thing called a, a lament, but he, he has done it in a way that every verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So a lament is, is a poem of mourning. And in this instance, we see that this, this poem of, of mourning is going to capture what Jeremiah was going through now, which is a, his, his heart was broken for the city. His heart was broken for his people. And so Jeremiah has put very cleverly into this acrostic, which is what taking a letter of the alphabet and starting off that verse is. It's an acrostic. You'll also notice that in Lamentations that it's, if you look at the last part of Jeremiah, it's in justified paragraphs. But then when you come over to Lamentations, you see that it's, it's indented and not indented. That's because there's different types of poetry. It, in fact, Hebrew poetry... Is, is different in, in some fundamental ways to our type of poetry. We, we like poems to rhyme. Roses are red, violets are blue. I love you, but this poem doesn't rhyme. And so we, there's something unnatural when you hear that. We like our poems generally to rhyme. But in Hebrew, that's, that's not how they did poetry. What they did was, instead, the, the more important thing was, was not so much Rhyme, but rhythm. So it would go da, 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 da. So there's rhythm to it. When Jeremiah is expressing his lament, what, what he's really saying by, by the, what appear to be negative feelings that he's expressing is that because he loved this city, because he loved this people, the risk he took was to experience these what we would consider to be negative things. If you don't love, you're not at risk of betrayal. If you don't love, you're not at risk of disappointment. If you don't love, you're not at risk of frustration. If you don't love, you're not at risk at feeling loss. Only when you love can you feel those things. If you're cold-hearted and indifferent, those things will barely touch you. But when you love, that's what you're susceptible to. I want you to consider that God, it says in 1 John 4, God is what? God is love. So God, in this sense, is the greatest risk taker in the universe, in the entire cosmos, the greatest risk taker. And he has experienced all these things. I think of parents who show their children love and feel love for their children, and they also can feel disappointment frustration, and even loss in a way that really, really, really hurts. And here, when Jeremiah, in, and I think, again, much in the same way as, as when a parent rebukes their child, it, it might, and, and children often will say, oh, you, you don't love me, or what, when a parent may tell them off. But in fact, it's because, it's because a parent loves their child that they tell them off. And I know that's hard for children to appreciate at the time, and but Jeremiah cared enough for his city that he had the courage to rebuke it. And his rebuke wasn't 
wasn't an indication of him being unloving. It was exactly the opposite. So we read in, in Proverbs 28 and verse 23, whoever rebukes a man afterwards finds more favour than he who flatters with his tongue. And there's a sense in which if children can learn that the rebuke of a parent, what's the rebuke of a parent? It's, it's that don't do that. That's not how we do it. Don't, you should have done it. That's a rebuke. And a, a child who's wise will learn that this is for their good. And Jer- this is what Jeremiah was doing. He was rebuking the city and its leaders. Why? Because he loved. And so what we're going to read in this book of Lamentations is the tear-stained pages of a prophet who loved these people dearly. And he's writing this in a cave. He's feeling deep disappointment, deep frustration, deep betrayal. And really what Jeremiah is feeling is God's heart. I mentioned Hebrew poetry is different. Let's, let's just go through these differences again. It's rhythm over rhyme. Next one, it's parallelism. All right. So what that means is in your Bible, he, and you'll see this through the Psalms, you'll see this through Proverbs, it's arranged like this. Line A might say, she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Line B says, all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. This is called line A, line B. They run parallel. It says it one way, and then it says it again a different way. That's called parallelism. That's Hebrew poetry. And this thing called acrostic, which is really, really clever to do this. As I say, chapter 3 is the only one where he doesn't use an acrostic method, and there's quite a few more verses in there. But what he's actually doing is the last section of chapter 3, he's actually taken the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet and made the, the, put them into groups of uh, three or four verses to finish up. That's why there's more verses in chapter 3. All right, so we're reading, come with me now, Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 1. And I can pretty much guarantee that there is no other preacher in this city preaching from Lamentations this morning. In fact, I would dare say there is no one in Australia this morning preaching from Lamentations. But let's see if we can find some of the riches that are there. All we're going to do, instead of rake this, we're going to dig this. We're going to mine this. How lovely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become? She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Verse 2. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Verse 3. Judah has gone into exile because of the affliction, because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations. She finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads, verse 4, the roads to Zion mourn. For none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. And she herself suffers bitterly. Verse 5, her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper 
because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Verse 6, from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. And verse 7, Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wanderings all the precious things that were hers from days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. See, this is just the introduction to Lamentations where Jeremiah is writing this. We know that after he wrote this, we pick up the story again in Jeremiah where the, the remnant of those that were left said to him, well, what should we do now? And you remember the story goes where Jeremiah says, you should stay in the city. You should stay in the city. And what do they do? They do exactly the opposite of what he says to do. And he says, stay in the city. Whatever you do, don't go down to Egypt. So what do they do? They go down to Egypt. And ultimately, Jeremiah would go with them. And there, most of them, including Jeremiah, would meet their untimely death. So this is Jeremiah in a bad place. What's interesting is that this is sad. This actually is sad. And isn't this, I think, a part of life? Aren't there times in life when we actually will feel sad? Oh, I don't like to dwell there, but it's reality. We will feel sad. And there are things that should make us feel sad. And as I think about this, this story of Jerusalem, and I want to run some parallels here with perhaps... People you know, well, perhaps this is even like your story because Jerusalem's story is just like many, many people's stories today. Let's, let's consider some of this. Thanks. When Jerusalem experienced good times, it was popular. Think of the days of Solomon. Kings and queens from around the world came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, was experiencing the best of times. And what happened? People came from all over the world. To visit. But when, when difficult times came in that, in that early stage, they sought God. After Solomon came kings like Jehoshaphat. And when they were surrounded by their enemies, Jehoshaphat sought God. And they were delivered. And Jehoshaphat called for the people to repent, turn to God. And, and when we, we read of Hezekiah, who who restored many of the aspects of the law. And so these good kings in the early days, shortly after Solomon, were able to lead Jerusalem and, and, and lead Judah, the southern tribe of Israel, to seek God. But then when, when they fell on hard times, we read in, in Micah, the prophet Micah, the, these tragic words, uh, for two days he will afflict us, but on the third day everything will be good again. And, and I remember hearing that some, uh, um, as an assistant pastor, that I, I was shocked one day to hear the senior pastor say, this tells us when Jesus will return. I just think, uh, no. No, it doesn't. He was saying that a day is a thousand years and after 2,000 years Christ will return. And that, that's not what it means at all. In fact, what, it, what it's saying is the people are, have become so arrogant that they are now saying this, God will discipline us for two days. But then on the third day, everything will be sweet again. 
And it, without them repenting, without them asking God for his forgiveness, without returning to him, without reinstituting the things that they should do that showed their obedience to him. It's actually a statement of arrogance. And sometimes hard times make hard hearts. And when their hearts had become hard, they became proud. And so we get to the depths of that in the time of Jeremiah. And Israel had become very, very hard-hearted, very hard-hearted. And so when Jeremiah comes along, he, he is touched by God. You remember that Jeremiah said to God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But two things constrained, and a constraint is the opposite of a restraint. A restraint holds you back, a constraint pushes you forward. And two things constrained Jeremiah. One was he had experienced God and something of God's heart. As I heard someone say, all you need is just one tear from God's eye to touch your heart and you'll never be the same again. And that had happened to Jeremiah. One tear from the heart of God touched his heart and now he began to feel the betrayal. We, uh, Kim and I are uh, sort of observing um, the, the, the marriage breakdown of, a, of some friends at the moment. And it's heartbreaking. It's just really heartbreaking. And, and we've seen it just progressively happening over the last 10 years. And now they've separated. And it's just so frustrating because we care for them both. And you just, you, you, you just love to get them together and go, come on, let's get this sorted out. And because we care. And imagine feeling that kind of compassion for an entire city. And that's what Jeremiah had, an entire city of people. He loved them because he'd been touched with the love of God. And so he, Jeremiah cared enough to be able to reach out to his community and to share the love of God. Did it cost him? Absolutely it cost him. And yet despite that, he was still prepared to do it. What did it cost him? Well, at one point he was beaten up. At another point he was Whipped at another point, he was uh, he had his legs tied and he was thrown down a cistern. He was imprisoned for extended periods of time, he was publicly humiliated, and he went through all that because he cared. Again, there's some parenting parallels there that parents carry things and care for their children, and it means they've got to pay a price at times. But I, I wonder if I wonder if any of us is prepared to care for our city and our community to the point where we will do what we can. So as I read these seven verses, as I reflect on what we see here in Lamentations, I've got, I've got four, four takeaway points. Here's the first one. Let's care. Let's care for those in the world. Let's care. What, what would it look like if we, if we cared more? What would it look like if we actually felt a greater burden for the eternal destiny of more people in our world? How would we live differently? Do you ever think as you're driving around town, I better be careful how I'm driving and how I'm seen to be conducting myself because that stranger over there could be in church next Sunday. You ever thought that? Uh, This really, really hit home to me once when I was my first church as a senior pastor was in Melbourne. And we just moved into that area and we didn't really know anyone, so we thought we were safe. And... Um, I developed an embarrassing rash. I'm not going to tell you where it was, 
because I'm embarrassed to even tell you where it was, but I had difficulty sitting down. And so I went to a doctor I'd never been to before, and you take potluck at these clinics, and it was a female doctor, and I thought, anyway, although these days I don't know. Anyway, so uh, I went there, and she, 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 as soon as she saw it, she went, oh, wow, which is not encouraging, really, is it? <laughs> and it was a dermatological thing, Michael, and so she, she said, oh, do you mind if I just get a texture and draw an outline of, of it? Okay. So while I was bent over, she took this texture and drew this thing around it, said, we'll just monitor that. We'll just see what happens to it. Okay. And I'm dying a thousand deaths, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man. Anyway, I thought, well, at least I'll never see her again. (laughs) That Sunday, we did a wedding in the church service for a couple that had been living together. They had kids. They'd just come to Christ. They said to me they couldn't get married because they couldn't afford it. So we said, well, what if I did the whole wedding for you at no, no cost? And we just incorporate into the service. You invite your friends and the, we'll get the people from the church to put on a supper. And would you be in? And they said, sure. And apparently the family doctor was a close friend of theirs. And it was the same doctor that I had just seen. And she was in the front row. <laughs> Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you are ever going to have an experience where someone gets to see an embarrassing rash that you have, but just be mindful of how you talk to the checkout chick, how you, make, how you register a complaint if you have a complaint to make, how you conduct yourself, because the person you're complaining to could be the person who God is calling and summoning because they are on the brink of a lost eternity and God and his love is reaching out to them and will bring them quite possibly into this church the next Sunday, and you might be on this stage doing your thing, and they might look at you and go, you. So let's be careful. So if we care for the world, if we care for people in our world, I think it will affect how we behave generally around people. Can you see that? You see how that might might work? Secondly, let's open up our hearts to God's love. Because I'm convinced, and I was praying this this morning, just in my own devotions, I was praying, God, I, I want to experience your love in my life more. Because I, I'm just convinced that if, that if I can begin, and Paul the Apostle says, who can fathom the, the length and the depth and the breadth and the height of God's love? And, and he obviously knew something about the love of God, and I want to know that too. How many of you have ever experienced the love of God and gone, man, how deep is this? How wide is this? How high is this? How unfathomable is this? Most of us don't because we don't take that time. We're more like the the elder son in the story of the prodigal. But if we can open up our hearts, oh God, help me to experience more of your love. And with that love comes a sense of security and suddenly it just doesn't matter what others think of us so much because we're enjoying God's love. And if we enjoy God's love, if we know God's love, there is something about a tear from his eye touching our heart that helps us to feel differently toward others. In other words, his love can flow through us more easily. And number three, here's the third point. I see Jeremiah... At, at this point, although in, in the, the video clip that I showed you, it doesn't look like he's about 70. But this has taken over a long period of time. And Jeremiah has been faithful over 60 or so years, 50-something years. And that, that just tells me, as we saw the other week, that, that what makes God's love unique? It's relentless. 
God's love is relentless. What do you have to do to offend God? I mean, how hard is it to offend God to the point where he says, that's it, I'm so offended, I'm not having anything to do with you. I have never, ever seen God do that. I've never experienced God doing that. I've never known God to do that. God's love is relentless. And if you get touched by his love, maybe something of that relentlessness will cause you to continue to reach out to those that you've given up on. You know, I, I, I was listening to um, a CD that Mike lent me, uh, and it was Lee Strobel talking about doing a, a baptism service, and he was doing a baptism service, and at, at that particular church they invited people to come with them to be a support person. And, and this older lady came up with a, with a man about her age, an older man, and, and Lee said to the older man, are you this lady's husband? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, well, isn't this a great day? Your wife's being baptised. Have you given your life to Christ? And he just stopped. And there's 7,000 people watching this. And he just stopped and he said, no, I haven't, but I want to. It's like no one had asked him. You know why? We, we, I found out why later. Because people had stopped asking. And why had they stopped asking? Because they'd asked for over 40 years. And so in front of all these people, Lee said, well, would you like to give your life to Christ now? And he said, yes. So Lee put his hand on him, prayed a prayer with him, invited Christ into his heart, said, do you want to get baptised right now? He said, yes. So in full clothes, he got baptised with his wife. That man's sister came up to Lee Strobel after that baptism service with tears streaming down her cheeks. And she said, I came to Christ nearly 40 years ago. And I witnessed to my brother, that man, from that very first day. And for nearly the last 40 years, I have been witnessing and witnessing and witnessing. And he has resisted, resisted, resisted. And a little while ago, I just gave up. I just thought he'll never get saved. God doesn't give up. We sometimes think, well, we'll give him, we'll give him a second chance. Not getting a third, buddy. That's not God's kind of love, is it? And thank God it isn't. What's number four? Not the fourth thing. Never think that there's no hope for someone. Never think that there's no hope for someone. This is why I, I really I don't even use the word hopeless in casual conversation because I think with God there's always hope. Always hope. We, we see that Jeremiah is going to finish when we get there to chapter 5, the end of chapter 5. Jeremiah is, is going to say, for Jerusalem, there's hope. And there is. There is. So here's... What I hope for us. The reason we have the book of Lamentations is because God is a God of love. The reason we have Lamentations is because that love from God touched the heart of Jeremiah. The reason we have Lamentations is because of God's deep love in and through Jeremiah. Not just to write something down in anger, but he wrote it down as a love poem. I mean, this is poetry. This poetry takes forever to write. And he's written five chapters of it. That's love. So God's love for you is unrelenting. <laughs> it's unrelenting. And if you experience it today, it can flow through you to others. You can begin to look at those people who are prickly, who are difficult, who are hard through eyes that are different. God's love for you is unrelenting. Can you begin to share that kind of love with someone else? Let's pray. Father, every one of us, every one of us 
would experience your love in a fresh way. That, Father, as we experience your love, we'll begin to feel sadness because when we love, we care. When we care, we get disappointed when others are doing things that hurt themselves. And, Father, we see a city here that is shaking its fist at you. We live in a city where people defy you. We live in a city where people tell you, I don't want anything to do with you. We live in a city, Lord, where your children have run away from home. They call you names. They despise you. They insult you. They tell all kinds of lies about you. And our hearts are not filled with anger, but with sadness and overwhelming love for these people. So now, Lord, I pray, enlarge our hearts. Help our hearts to be full of love for these people. That, Lord, we can begin to share your love with others. Now, if you're here today and perhaps you, really, you haven't ever experienced God's love and God's forgiveness, perhaps for you God is a scary God, I'm inviting you right now. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer, a prayer that says, God, please forgive me. I want to come home. I want to experience your love. I want your embrace. I want to come home. You pray a prayer like that, God can forgive you of your sins and set you on an entirely new course of life. And I pray that many... God's love for us is unrelenting. Even though we disappoint and betray Him, will we let that love flow through us to others? More in Lamentations next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, What Can Happen When You Love, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.